When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. <laughs> Welcome to Knife Talk. This is a podcast, if this is your first time hearing us, where we talk about knives, knife making, and all sorts of things. We're very involved with our listeners, and sometimes we go deep. Sometimes it's deep, but listen, just like a little turtle, the turtle needs to come up for air. So when we go deep, we'll come back up for air sometimes. So on this podcast, we're doing, we're going to talk about knives, knife making, blah, blah, blah. It with us is the great Mareko Momasi and El Capitan, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. Gentlemen, start your engines. Start your engines. Vroom, vroom. That's it. <laughs> Getting That's all it. revved up. Yeah. I'll kick us off for uh, past week's happenings. Um, so calendar, again, I've been talking about the calendar a lot. Uh, we're finally getting a, a proof printed uh, so that I can kind of use it uh, to promote the calendar as we're driving back because we're driving back to Washington uh, this Saturday. We hit the road. Uh, so you know, we're going to have, uh, I think, five nights, six days of traveling. So I'll make sure to promo and talk about the calendar. And I want to have something physical. So we got the proof coming. Uh, I think it's going to look pretty sweet. Um, and then that blacksmith knife, uh, I was talking about putting that up for sale. The sale went phenomenally uh, way better than I thought it was going to go. And uh, I really just am so thankful for the support and the, and the interest in in my work that it sold so well. It ended up auctioning for a final price of $850, which completely nice. blew my mind. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Nice. Um, who yeah, who so was I, the winner? Can you say the winner of the auction? I can't remember his handle right off the off the top of my head, but his name's Sean, and cool. he's uh, he's just a good guy and was really interested in it. And uh, I guess him him and his family watched Fortune Fire or something like that. And uh, he was they were watching the auction. He was watching it with his his kids, and his kids kept egging him on to keep bidding, keep bidding. <laughs> oh, so I was like, those good, God bless those kids. <laughs> God bless those kiddos. Jeez. So I'll take it. That was great. And I, I sent some little extras just to kind of. Uh, just as a thank you for, because this is basically the first time I've done an auction like this. Um, so just to make it, you know, sweeten the pot a little uh, for him. So was and it then, stressful? Uh, no, it wasn't. I, you know, getting everything up and getting like I completely forgot about getting some uh, like a caption put together um, for the post that talked about the, the rules for the auction and stuff like that. Uh, thankfully I went back and, uh, Don Nguyen, he's done a few auctions. And so I kind of, uh, copied from what he had done and, and I, uh, I modified it for my own, um, for my own use and it worked well and there was no sh- crappiness or anything. Um, 
between bidders or anything. Every, uh, the, I think the only downside, I, I, I did it between Instagram and Facebook, which was fine. I, a lot of people were like, oh, this is too confusing. And it's like, it's not. I'm just going to update every few hours. It's cool. Uh, but well, there was almost nothing. There was almost no activity over on Facebook. So I think in the future, I'll probably just do it on, on Instagram. Um, and also, if you don't have Instagram, like, what are you doing? Come on. But <laughs> get with the times, kids. They're old. The people uh, on Facebook, they're all old. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, like you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a shot across the bow right off the bat. God damn you. That's fine. All right. All right. I deserve it. Uh, and then, uh, all right. I don't know if I'm. Did I mention getting smacked in the face by a bolt last week for my buffer? No. no. Yeah. No. So I have. You know, the buffing wheel, I have uh, this little set screw that helps hold the arbor on, uh, or like kind of in play, or the pulley wheel that the, the that drives the, the buffer. And the damn thing apparently vibrated loose and flew out and smacked me at the, in the face at thir- like full-on RPMs, like 3450. And what's super annoying is that it could have flown out at any direction, and of course it came out right at my fucking eye and thank Oof. god i was wearing eye protection because it hit me like it hit me a little bit in the bridge of my nose but it would have hit me right in the corner of my eye that potentially could have severely damaged my eye or blinded me in that eye and so kids wear your safety protection it's those uh, buffers so, they're out to kill us those buffers are definitely they there are to kill literally us. out to kill you <laughs> they don't <laughs> care about you and we used to oh, call it then, ca- we used to call it catching a bad one like if you Ugh. if we were making uh, bronze uh, uh, radiator covers and we would we would be putting them on the buffer to mirror finish the bronze and if you caught the edge a certain way it would pull it right out of your hands we call it catching yeah. a bad one. Yeah. And uh, and lastly, uh, I got this new handle that I've been working on, and um, it's <laughs> it, it's a special build. This, I'm so fortunate for the customers I have. This guy. Um, when he first contacted me and got on my wait list was a couple years ago. And at that time, he had no custom knives. And now, a couple of years later, he's got a huge collection. He's got a couple from Nick Anger. He's got a couple from Don. He's got 35-some-odd knives now. And uh, so at this point, he's like, he had like a very specific, I want this. Uh, but now he just wants, he's been following everything I've been doing. He's like, I love everything you're doing. I want you to just build a knife as though you were building it for yourself. And so uh, I still asked for some details because I would hate to do like spend all this time building this knife that I'm really excited about because I built it like I was building it for myself and sent it to him. And then him be like, mm, I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I still asked for some guidelines just to work around and uh, it's coming together really nice. The pattern is this is this pattern that I'm calling Monarch Fern. And um, it's uh, essentially it's a type of uh, flora that is exist around a lot of Polynesia and this knife is kind of my own personal exploration into trying to get to know my own Polynesian heritage. I'm, I'm half Samoan on my dad's side. And so trying to get to know and understand that and learn about the culture a little bit through, through the work that I do and making, making knives. And so the handle is sculpted from uh, a two-tone curly koa that I, I've never really, I've, I hardly ever, if ever, really see two tone koa, and this has beautiful sapwood and um, and curls that go through the heartwood, which is the darker material, and as well as the sapwood, which is usually the lighter material that's closer to the outer edge of the tree. 
uh, to the bark. And so it's got some really beautiful activity. And I did a little, it's a kind of a, a, uh, a departure from my standard Japanese cowboy where I did a little bit of carving, definitely taking some inspiration from uh, the work of Yella Hosenberg and, um, and Don Nguyen and Salem Straub, uh, who all do a lot of really cool, interesting, geometric, faceted, kind of carved handle work. And so this is my first little step into that pool. Um, and it's come together really nice. I just got some a couple finish coats on it. And uh, the next step is for me to start hand sanding, but I'll be doing that today. Have you ever so. been to, have you ever gone back and visited Samoa? No, I've never been to Samoa as an adult. Last time I was there, I believe, was when I was like one or two, and it was not under good conditions. And part of the reason I have no connection with that background is because my dad was kind of basically a giant piece of shit. And I'm not trying mom, to. I'm not trying to pry I, into it. I was just out no, of no, curiosity. Fine, fine. I, I hope yeah, I'm yeah, not prying. No, no, not at all. And so, so we've. I've been. I grew up basically completely dislocated and disconnected from that culture. But what's crazy is as, uh, especially when my son, my wife was pregnant with our son, and especially when he was born, part of me is like feeling like this pulling from inside of me to like understand what is this part of me that I have no connection to. And so I've been trying to, over the last couple of years, explore that a bit and try to understand it better and learn about the culture and and the part of being in Hawaii when I was working with Neil is trying to kind of like connect with that a bit. And uh, there's so much more to, to learn. But I, I'm on a path uh, trying to learn this stuff through developing patterns um, and understanding what the different symbols are. You see all these kind of like quote unquote tribal tattoos, but the, the original uh, Polynesian Samoan tattoo symbols are very, very simple and geometric in style. And I would really love to de uh, develop some patterns that kind of represent that as well as, you know, learn the history about those things as I'm doing that as well. So anyways, that's what I've been up to hmm. this last week. And uh, yeah, that's what I got. What about you, hmm. Jeff? What have you been up to? Uh, well, you know, it's funny because we left the last episode of the podcast and Craig decided to spring a new bit on us. If you listen to the last episode, Craig gave us this fakakta bit where we were supposed to challenge each other, and gratefully you uh, oh, yeah. picked picked an omelet, like an omelet race. Mm. So yeah. Sunday comes around, I made a couple omelets. My, my, my daughter videoed me doing a couple omelets, and then uh, I went to the shop, and then I was working on some bottle openers. And then somebody mm. on Instagram Live says, "Hey, don't forget, you owe Craig a pair of tongs." Now, this is this is this is where it's coming to. So, a few months ago, I noticed uh, Craig and a lot of like a lot of other knife makers, uh, they're heat treating with 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 pliers. So I wrote, I said, ah, "I got to make you some tongs because you can't be, you know, you can't be making, you can't be heat treating with pliers. It's bullshit." So then I had a pair of tongs. And I was going to send it to you, and then I saw this. Young man who listened to the podcast, his name is Walker Hussey. He's It'll a good kid. <laughs> Stop that. Don't bring that back up. He's a good kid. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of it. He's a good kid. And I saw that he was, he was, he treating, he was forging with, <laughs> with pliers. And I was just like, ah, Craig don't need those. Craig's old man. He don't need those pliers. He doesn't need those tongs. So I sent him to Walker. Probably felt bad about what I said to So I sent him to, to Walker and then, you know, but he, he's using it and he's an you know, awesome kid. 
So then all of a sudden I'm like, ah, you know what? I got to make Craig some, that guy's right. I got to make Craig some tongs. So I made some tongs, some pickup tongs. And um, I got really involved in them. They were a lot of fun to make. And then I started using them while I was, I realized that I didn't have a pair of pickup tongs like that. Nice and long, not really used for, not really used for, you know, holding stuff to forge, but more like putting stuff into the forge, taking stuff out, you know, moving stuff around, picking up, picking. It's not, they're not for holding something in place to forge. You can, but you really, you're not really for it. So all of a sudden I started saying, you know what? I should keep these tongs. And... And then I was like, ah, no, 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 you're going to send the tongs. So we did the video. We were supposed to post the video on Monday before noon. So I screwed that up. I'm, and so Monday morning, I, I wrap up the tongs. I threw a little something extra in for in, in, with uh, one of the bottle openers that I made with the Modern Forge guys. We sent one of that over there. Put it in the mail. I'm like, all right, it's 11.45. I got to get home. I'll upload the video. Upload the video. Of me making an, an egg, an omelet. I got my brains beaten in to the point where I thought, that son of a bitch Craig does not deserve these tongs. I should have waited. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, God damn it. Why did I send those tongs before I before I started? I, I fucked up. And I shouldn't have. Oh, boy. Well, the comments. Oh, the, oh those scrambled eggs wrapped up. And oh, look at those. And that's. <laughs> Kentucky stooge, uh, that Kentucky stooge Jared Thatcher starts starts in on me. He's my buddy, but he's a bit of a stooge. The Kentucky stooge. <laughs> he, 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 you know, oh, that looks wet. You drink that? That looks wet. Oh boy, did I hear about it. So, um, so then I made, so then I got over it. I decided to stay off Instagram for a day or two, and then I made some <laughs> bottle openers. I made a progression, uh, bottle opener progression. I made myself a pair, another pair of tongs. And uh, here we are. That's where we're at. We're going to talk about the, talk about those eggs in a, a bit more detail later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that was it. And and what I really wanted to do is I wanted to start doing some uh, more forging stuff. And it was fun. I like doing bottle openers. I always have. And kind of making one of the great things about being a blacksmith is you're really trying to focus on doing your own thing, like creating your own thing. So I spent yeah. a long time kind of like making my own style of of bottle openers and then we got so much I sold last week I made some we put them up they went right away and then I made another pile I made twice as many they went right up right away and it was great and what I also wanted to do is do like a little bit of a progression piece when I was at the Center for Metal Arts back in the day we used to do when we'd have classes like Worry Hoff you teach class or Fred Christ we would people would need to you know it's always good to have visual cues drawings aren't good enough sometimes so we would do these progressions mm. of a pair of pickup tongs or yeah. or uh dividers or all these different kinds of things so john ledford and i would do these progressions and then what happens is once you finish your heat you kind of go up to it and take a look and see if it's you know you're close and you can kind of see where things are so what That's i wanted to do is i wanted to do that with uh, bottle openers because i'm going to be doing um uh, in the second week of June, I'm going to be taking over the Instagram page of the Culinary Institute of America, and we made the final decision that I want to do a progression draw, a progression piece, so they can see what goes into knife making, and it's something to kind of like yeah. I really want to make an explosion on these people in regards to kind of getting them involved in what we're actually doing and aspects of it. I'm trying to do a very, uh, very stark exciting image for the first day we're going to have it for three days and i want to do a progression so i did this progression it was great because i think a lot of people were able to use the progression drawing to kind of figure uh, the progression of the bottle openers to kind of figure out how they can do it and how you can 
you know, little steps in which to do. And it was pretty clear in regards to how to do it. And I got a lot of nice messages from people who wanted to make bottle openers and tongs and stuff. So I want to do that more often. It's, it's doing, um, doing multiples is always good for the mind. It kind of makes you more uh, efficient. Like I cut down a lot of steps based on when I first started doing them to when I, last week I made 12, this week I made 24. Um, and, uh, I feel good. I feel young. Man, my hands are calloused. I went to bed tired every night, and I felt good. <laughs> really good. That progression board, I really like. Yeah. I really, really like it. Because somebody who doesn't do any sort of blacksmithing like myself, you can take a look at each stage and go, ah, oh, right, I see. And I didn't realize that, you know, you'd have to pick the side of your scroll and you'd work on that. You know, it's, it's the order that you do things in that really surprised yeah. me. Well, the, the one thing is, is I did a couple different moves in there. You can kind of see when you go on, if you see Jeff Fader Knives on Instagram and you see it, there's a couple things you have to do, not for just making it, but for how you can operate. Like in the middle, what you do is you pop the hole and you stretch it out, but you don't stretch it out all the way. My bottle openers, the holes are bigger than most because when I was a kid, my dad brought back this uh, bottle opener from uh, uh, Korea or Tokyo or something, and, and then... Um, it was very wide, so the top of the bottle top is touched, and then the tab goes underneath, but the sides don't touch the sides of the bottle opener. I always liked that. It was very, like, I always liked that. So when I made my bottle openers, I made them very wide, not very round. So, But the thing yeah. is, if you make them, if you go all the way uh, to the final, you know, size dimension of the open part... You're gonna fuck. You're gonna fuck them up in the forge with. You, you can't hold them with the tongs. So you yeah, like you need stop. That structure. Right. You. So I. That's the other thing is, you, when you're doing <laughs> forging, you have to think about not just the final outcome, but how you get there and what's the best way to do it. So I don't want to screw up the scroll because it's so tiny and they're so easy to get screwed up. That you know you do that kind of last, but the last thing you do is you overstretch that the hole and so i really tried to make it like this is the way i do it and it's it's because i don't have tongs that would hold it in a way that would make me comfortable um making it so it was a lot of fun for me and and um you know i think it's good for people who are interested in blacksmithing to kind of see how you'd get there and and a lot of the thought process behind um it's problem solving really yeah so up at the new england school of metalwork they have a lot of those progress boards um, they're, the ones by Daryl Nelson are really sweet because he's doing all the sculpting and chiseling and making like yeah. bear heads and dragons, dragon faces and stuff. But just all kinds of stuff. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, oh man, I can't think of his name right now. <laughs> the guy in charge of the damn place. What's his name? <laughs> Anyways, uh, the, he he's done a lot of it, a lot of it. It's, it's not just blade forging or knife forging. It's it's a lot of black. It's actually mostly blacksmithing stuff. Uh, the ornamental ironwork kind of things like progressions of forging leaves and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really cool. Really, oh, really cool to see those broken down. We're visual thinkers. You know, we're, most of the people who are listening to this podcast do what they do because they can, can, they can feel things. They can, they need to see it. They can't just, I mean, have you ever, have you ever read uh, a, a blacksmithing book? It's just like, you want to pu- pull your hair out. You know, how do you explain, you know, sometimes explaining it is super difficult. So you need yeah. these visual cues, especially if you're taking a class. Fred Christ uh, sent me a picture of, he did, uh, we did uh, uh, a rose 
a, a forged rose out of a, I think it was inch and, qu- inch and a quarter by inch and a quarter by four inch block. And he did a progression of each stage because it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. So I think, you know, especially for people who are trying to think about how, and tongs are the same, you know, tongs are, once again, it's so much better for your mind to be able to see it. But also when you sure. do your own progressions, you end up learning more about how to do it. Like I did the progressions and then I, I was using it as a marker, like, you know, where I was, you know, spacing because I was doing 24 of them. I wanted to make sure everything was the same. I swapped, mm-hmm. I changed a couple little, I, I was able to kind of make a couple little of the gestures in the same heat, which really helped me out. So I, you yeah. know, look, hashtag student for life, man. I, I love, I love everything for about sure. it. Ha- student for life. That's it. I'll fucking Derek love it. Glazer, by the way, Derek Glazer is the, hash- the coordinator. Hash- He's running Hats off. New England School of Metalwork. Yeah, he's a badass. He's a badass blacksmith. We got a couple. Hey, listen, we got a couple guys going there for listening to the podcast. I know uh, our buddy Noah Noah Vachon from Vachon Knives up in Quebec. He's going oh, yeah. to take a. He's going to take a Nick Rossi class. He just bought a, a Sunset Forge hammer. He's going to take a Nick Rossi class. It's a good New England School of Metalwork. It's going to you're going to it's you're going to prope- it's going to propel you. You go to any of these schools. You go to Center for Metal Arts, whatever. You're gonna, it's going to propel you. Yeah. Craig. What about you, Craig? Craig, Craig, cool. can you say Craig. that right, Jeff? I know. Oh, Craig. Uh, Craig. Oh, we're Craig. Getting, oh, we're, That's the one. That's Craig. The one. Craig. We're getting our balls broken about that, too. We Apparently, we say Craig. So it's not Craig. It's Craig. Craig. The French do the same. I'm used to it now. I'm, I'm Greg, Craig. I, I, I get them all. So I'll answer to anything. Answer no, to you anything. won't. Can I call you Sea Dog? Sea Dog. Well, I say anything. There's your <laughs> Sea Dog. So I've had a good week. So Jeff was just talking about multiples, um, and that's all I've been doing for the last maybe two months, just working on big batches of things. So last week I talked about starting a big uh, batch of heat treating for a bunch of steak knives, finished those 64 blades. They all went really well. Not a single problem with any of them. Very, very happy. Um, So I've started the, the big task of grinding these blades I say all 64 of them. Wow. Um, Also prepping handles for these. So in between sort of epoxy setting, I'm doing a bit more grinding, then laying down some more handles, then grinding. Um, It's really nice to get into a rhythm. I I really, really enjoy it. Um, And it's it's one of those things where, I mean, I've been making 64 blades. So, you know, I, I get 70 blanks ready to go. So the the first two or three you do and you're quite happy with, the third or fourth on that day is like, well, this is so much better. So you scrap those first two or three, then you know your next sort of 60 are very, very consistent. Um, but I've really, really enjoyed it. So the even heat has been working like an absolute champ that did all those nice. knives for me. Um, and now onto the grinding. So yeah, really, really enjoying it. Um, I've been full of energy this week too, because I this is my second week of a diet. Huh. Um, the first few days, and it, when I say diet, I've just been sort of cutting out carbs and just making sort of better choices on the kind of stuff that I'm eating. Mm. No more chocolate at, in the evenings, that kind of thing. Um, and the first, <laughs> it is lame. It is lame. <laughs> the first few days, I felt like shit, absolute right. shit. I had no energy, and I was just, why the hell am I? Life's too mm. short. I was thinking, why don't I just eat what I want? It'll be good. But I sort of kept on going, and now I'm just full of energy. So I'm waking up much, much earlier. I'm getting to the shop early, doing a few hours before everybody wakes up. Um, I'm, I just feel brighter. I'm thinking clearer. It's yeah, I'm, I'm really, really pleased. What, what's it modeled after? Is it like a whole thirty thing, or keto, or just no? Low carb? I mean, I've tried all these sort of, you know, these 
these sort of tested diets, if you like. And, and to me, that's why they yeah. are. They're diets because you come off them at the end of it and then you're back to normal. So I'm, I'm trying to do things sort of my way and just making better choices to make it more sustainable. So it'll just change the way that I eat. So, I mean, I used to have bread with every single meal, you know, always. And in between yeah. meals, if I have a snack, it'd be sort of bread-based or carb-based, white carb-based at least. So <laughs> I haven't had any carbs at all for the last 10 days. Yeah, um, and I've what just started. That, to... What about all that tasty beer you got sitting around? You know what? I finished the keg last week. I had a bit of a... <laughs> right before the diet started. <laughs> Chug time! All right. Um, but hey, Andy, yeah, I gotta, it... I gotta finish this. I gotta start this diet. I better start drinking. That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> After we did all the chocolate <laughs> in the house, eat all the bread in the house. <laughs> yeah, no bread, no bread. Hey, where's the bread and beer? All right, hey, but I'm diet. Slowly bringing carbs back in now, but you know, uh-huh. on a much, much smaller basis. So, you know, I'm not going to be carb free, but I'm going to be eating probably a third of what I used to eat and at the right times. And honestly, the, the energy levels are completely different. So, I'm really, really pleased with that. So, I've been able to plow through these 64 blades, getting them done much quicker than I thought I would. I've also started work on the, the Jamie Oliver knife we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, somebody said, you know, if you could make a knife for anybody, who would it be? Um, my choice was Jamie Oliver. And I don't know if anybody listened to the, the show probably about two weeks ago where we mentioned that a few people got in touch and said, well, we know Jamie, we can help, you know, we can help make that happen and facilitate it. So, so I started work on that on that knife for Jamie Oliver. Um, and it's good. It's good. I'm really enjoying making it. So I wanted the design to be slightly different. So it is a classic Western style chef knife. Um, but it's different to my normal style. So uh, the, the the blade is done. I've done the rough grinds. I've got the hand sanding to do. I've got the materials in for the handle, um, which is this sort of retro rainbow-inspired handle. Um, it's going to be really good. So I've been documenting. I've been making a video of each step of this. I'll put all this together into one big video. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited about that. So it's been a good week, really, really positive week. Nice. And I'm really all pumped up, ready for Cutelia, which is next weekend. Um, What's that? Which is in... Cutelia is the, it's basically like your blade show, which you have in the US. Um, Cutelia is in France. It's in Thiers, which is almost like the, the knife capital of France. Um, and it's a huge knife show. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. So I went last year, um, get to meet, I mean, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of makers, lots of suppliers, um, material suppliers, equipment suppliers, that kind of thing. Um, it's a whole weekend. There's lots of demonstrations going on and so on. So, so I'm heading up on the Friday. Um, I've got a um, an appointment with a, actually a factory in Tiers. I'm gonna they can maybe cutting out some of the steak knife blades for me. Um, yeah. So I'm going to the factory on Friday. I go to Cutelia on the Saturday, um, and we're actually going to camp as a family too. So oh. <laughs> I'm hoping what it's going to be mean? good. We're, we're going to camp. Taking? We're taking tents, and we're gonna we're gonna like camp. The babies are going to be in a tent with the babies. <laughs> It's gonna be, it's gonna be chaos. I know it, but um, I'm just praying for good weather. But yeah, it's it's good. I've had a really good week, and I'm really looking forward to next week. All good. Very cool. Back to your diet. I gotta tell you, I changed the way I ate about when I was when I was about 32. I changed the way I eat out of spite because you still I remember was, uh, that. What'd you say? You still remember that? You don't remember that. <laughs> What was that a joke? Do you remember? Is that oh, because I'm so old? Oh, yeah, you bollocks up. So, 
then forget it. No, I, I got my, my <laughs> cholesterol was on the higher side. And my wife, who's a nurse practitioner, said, oh, well, we have to change your diet and you have to listen to me, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know what? You don't know how to cook. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take, and then the doctor's telling me, oh, you got to stay away from shrimp and this. And I was like, you guys don't know how to cook. You don't tell me. And so I, I did a modified diet. And I said to the doctor and I said to my wife, I said, I am going to dock my cholesterol down without any of your help. And I stopped, I stopped eating a lot of shit. And I really started eating at the time just to get my cholesterol down. I started eating a lot healthier. No, I wasn't eating a lot of dairy. I was like no more meat, beef and, and stuff like that. And then it really, what I realized was I was having a lot more energy when I was forging and it wasn't eating these giant, you know, burritos for lunch and stuff like that. And I felt I had more energy, but then in my mind, all I could think of is I don't want to be in my sixties and the doctors say, you have to change your lifestyle now. So I really started it when I was in my thirties to say, all right, I'm going to like change my lifestyle slowly, slowly, slowly to eat, you know, make better choices. So I'm not, it's not such a drastic it's not such a drastic decision I have to make, you know, when it's all too late and I'm going to be miserable. But it was all spite. I did it out of spite. I was just like, you motherfuckers <laughs> can't tell me how to make it happen. I'll make it happen without you. I think you need so. a driver to, to, to make these big changes. You need something to drive you rather than just say, I'm going to go on a diet. You need a reason for it. And that's a good reason. But the stupid nurse yeah. in, the, in the doctor's office is reading off all the things you're not supposed to eat. Like, oh, well, shrimp has a lot of cholesterol. Shrimp doesn't have a lot of cholesterol. It's because the way you cook it, if you cook it with butter and, and you cook it in butter all the time yeah. or fry it, yeah, then it's got a lot of cholesterol. It's not the shrimp's well, fault. These, these people, some of these wisdom, people are so stupid. Conventional and, and, wisdom oh, around, some, around healthy food and nutrition has changed since, since the 60s, too. Yeah, but also, you know, you look at chefs. <laughs> Like Alice Waters, or you look at chefs who are like focusing, or like uh, Thomas Keller, you look at chefs like Daniel Barber, they're focusing on really well cooking vegetables well and learning how to cook well. When I was in culinary school, our teacher used to say, if you can cook really good vegetarian food, you're gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna be a better cook. So I really like, you know, I had to do a lot of make a lot of changes, but you know, now I've, I've dropped, I, I have, I've been drinking a lot of beer lately, so. I've dropped off that whole <laughs> bandwagon. Got to enjoy so, yourself. Oh, a little bit. You know. Shall we talk about eggs? Challenge, Challenge the, the host. host. <laughs> I'll never get over that lisp. Challenge the host. So an, an update from last week. So um, last thing. week we introduced this new section, Challenge the Host, where one of us will challenge the other two to do something uh. in the week. Right. And last week's challenge was a, a two-egg omelette race. Right. We could do the quickest two-egg omelette, which is edible. So we had <laughs> two very different <laughs> entries. <laughs> so first up was Jeff's. Jeff's came through on Instagram. Um, and it was it. How many seconds was it, Jeff? I don't know. It was under a minute. Under a minute. Under a minute. Uh, edible eggs. Edible eggs. Yeah, they passed the test. Then Marekos came through in about seven separate videos. <laughs> the guy's moving. He's moving. He's got to get his life together. You're worried about it, his... It was barely... It was just over two minutes. That's not bad for cooking up a whole omelette. Fully cooked. But here's, here's the thing. If I had to choose which one I'd eat, That's it would not definitely, the, definitely be Marekos. But you're right. That wasn't the, the challenge. The, the challenge bullshit, was the quickest eggs. The bullshit is ensuing. 
So the winner is Jeff. The winner winner of last week's thing was Jeff. I don't take any pride in the beating that I've received, which is fine. Whatever. I said before last week, when you gave this goddamn bit, I said, if I'm going to make an omelet, law you Americans, remember... All you guys who said, oh, what about the cheese? What about the ham? That's not an omelet. It's it's a French word, you morons. Mm. It's a French word. It's, you know, the French style of making an omelet is you do small curds, and then you let it set, and you fold it over on itself, and that's a traditional omelet. So I went with that. So I'm sorry for <laughs> yeah. calling you morons, but... You know, you know how it is. It's just like God, I got a, got a lot of Fritz taken for me, and then not to mention, I really respect Mareko. He's my friend. I would do anything for him. Some of you guys were kissing a lot of ass, a lot of ass, a lot of those response. You were kissing a lot of ass, and I know all of a sudden I was just like, well, you know, Mareko's is I'd like I'd like yours, Mareko. It's just guys. This wasn't that had nothing to do with whether you liked it or not. Okay, and I respect him, and I honest with you, I wanted him to win, but mm. these things happen. But you got to watch. Number one, you got to watch all the ass kissing because there's a lot of it. And number two, don't shoot from the hip. All right, don't shoot from the hip like the Kentucky Stooge. Jared Thatcher shot from the hip. Oh, would you drink that one? Would you drink that one? Don't shoot from the hip. Don't shoot from I, the hip. I was surprised how um, I won't say dry, but how unwet both of your omelets were. Here in France, we're used to very, very sloppy eggs. Very That's almost, right. almost liquid omelets. Well, the traditional omelet is supposed to be. Right. I actually, I mine got a little bit more big curds than they should have. But I, w- I got to the point where I was just like, I got to get on with my life here. So, it, 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 you know, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be very small. The traditional French one's supposed to be small uh, 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 curds in the middle, and then it's kind of outside. So when you cut it open, it's supposed to kind of ooze out a little bit. Yeah. I understand. You guys are used to your Slim Jims and beef jerky and all that stuff. I know. You like your omelets. French word. Go watch Jacques Pepin. Five minutes. is two eggs, two omelets. Uh, Rocco Despirito did an omelet in 22 seconds. Wow. Fine. Fine. But you won, Jeff. It was a race, and you won. So you get yeah. to set the challenge for us this week. Well, What's it going to well, be? Well, here's here's the here's number one. Number one is I have nothing but respect for Mareko, and I know that he's moving. He didn't have time. Kissing. Still ask kissing. No, 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 no. And, <laughs> and, unfortunately, I know we're a global podcast, but in the United States tomorrow Sunday is Mother's Day so if you think for one minute I'm going to make Mareko do anything on Mother's Day except for do whatever his wife wants and whatever whatever he has to do to get moving you're I'm as out of friendship I would I'm going to let him I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to take a pass just because I don't want him to do anything other than what he's supposed to do plus what he's supposed to do which is be you know the good dad on Mother's Day so, you know when you say supposed to do all I keep thinking, did you ever watch The American Office? Yeah. When he did his Chris Rock impression? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to do! <laughs> I think you should do I think you should do that more often. <laughs> I like I like it when I like it when you're doing a office. 
Go ahead. <laughs> well, anyway, carry it on. Carry well, it on. So I was gonna, is like, there going to be a challenge or not? I was going to. I was going to push the challenge back just because I wanted Mareko to have a, some time. But then again, I thought I want to beat your brains in, and I want to take his spot because I feel like I want to do an omelet challenge against you, Craig. <laughs> really? We're going to yeah. do omelets again? Well, I just want to see. You know, I think that it's a fair. I think it's a fair assessment to of uh, you know you should. Uh, you should have to, you know, suffer the suffer the the beatings I took. You know, for winning, I didn't. I didn't feel like I was winning. That's for sure. I felt like I was getting my balls broken a lot. Okay, okay. Omelet challenge again. Omelet challenge but again. But next, but it's not going to be. You can't do for. I can't do for. I mean, I'm wrecking unless you want to do something. I figured you're going to uh, be in the disposed. Yeah, I'm going to be a bit busy. All right, I'm going to. Uh, this that's what I figured. That's what I figured. So I and I'm going to step in to kick Craig's ass for you, and um, I'm go- I'm wishing you nothing but peace and love, and I'm doing this for you in your name. I'm going to whip his ass. I'm going to whip his Let's ass. It. It's going to be a it. fast omelet, and it's going to be filled to the brim for some of you people. All right, filled to the brim, and Jared, don't worry. You settle. You just hold your horses. So I'll take care of you too. So Craig, I think we should do it. But I don't think we should do it on Monday because tomorrow's Mother's Day and I ain't picking up that phone on Mother's Day because I'm yep. not stupid. So uh, <laughs> let's do it later in the week. You pick the day later in the week. I'm going to whip your ass in the name of Mareko and we're going <laughs> to see how it is. And it's, not, it's going to be fast and it's going to be filled. Filled. It's going to be a filled omelet. I, won't, I, heard, I heard all you guys. Okay. Okay. Fill in, you, fill in is your choice. I'm, I'm going ultimate speed. Ultimate speed. Oh, Strip but, back. Oh, is that what you want? You want ultimate stru- <laughs> All right, so we want to go ultimate speed? I'm going to do two videos then. I'm going to okay. do ultimate speed and fill to the brim. If you really want to do ultimate speed, you wouldn't use a utensil. Ooh, really? That, now we have a challenge. Fastest omelet without using a utensil. Oh, shit. That's, that's difficult. Oh, now all of a sudden, now, now, all of a sudden now all of a sudden the old chest isn't so puffed up, is it now, Craig? <laughs> Not so puffed up, is it now? My, my chest was I, I wasn't any part of last oh. week's challenge. I didn't do it. Oh. So I was expecting a difficult challenge this week. But eggs, mm. easy. Easy. I've got you. Oh. I've got you. Utensils or no utensils? Let's give you utensils. We'll give you utensils. We can use utensils. Okay. Right. Let's say um, midday Wednesday, uh, midday EST, Fine. both videos will be up. Fine. Challenge is set. Challenge the host. That list is unbelievable. The host. host. Did you you record that after you finished that keg? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there he goes. Mareko, downtown. Challenge the host. (laughs) (laughs) He got you from downtown, Craig. Craig, We're all all firing this afternoon, aren't we? Yeah, man. (laughs) <laughs> so I want to talk to you about this new grinder that I've had. Um, I've been using it now for, well, about 10 days. Um, I've gone through 64 blades already. It's This thing is amazing. So it's by Clarix Metalworks. You can see their work at clarixmetalworks.com. They've got this BG Pro grinder, and you can get 5% off the grinder as a listener if you use the promo code KNIFETALK5. 
Now I did do a video on on this grinder as well, so go and take a look at my YouTube page, which is Chop Knives on YouTube. Do a quick search, and you'll see a sort of an unboxing and a review video of the of the grinder. But go take a look; these these grinders are amazing, and we've set up this discount for you. So go take a look, ClaricsMetalworks.com. I watched your video. I think you did a great job. It's difficult. I tell you what, doing good video is is very difficult. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've just ordered a new mic, actually, for, for video stuff as well, because I wasn't happy how with do the you know audio. How, to, how do you know how to do all the angles? Like, all these YouTubers, all they do are all these angles all the time. Is it yeah. like a formula? It's just trying to keep things interesting. You know, just, you know, just a deadpan talking to camera for, you know, 20 minutes is going to be boring as hell. So. Right. And also, you know, I fuck up a lot, so it's a case of cut. Let's redo yeah. it, and we can do it from a different angle. You know, it's yeah. But um, yeah, it's seeing how you know the likes of I've talked about this before. You know, Alec, what Alec does, and what Jeremy from Simple Little Life does. It's a massive respect to them because me just trying to do this fifteen minute, fifteen minute video, it took me a long, long time, and it's still nowhere near as good as it should be. But it's it's difficult, difficult thing to do. I don't know how any of these YouTubers do it. I don't know how any of them do it. It's such a pain in the ass. It seems like it's such a pain in the ass. Hmm. Well, when it comes to pacing of the video, I think there is a, a, a somewhat of a formula to how frequently you need to change angles or change shots because otherwise it just becomes... It, it, people get bored super yeah. easily. Right. And Alec especially, I, uh, he does an incredible job zooming in, zooming out, getting all kinds of... You know, B footage, cutting around through B footage yeah. and stuff like that. It's really he does an awesome job. I really it's, like it's his videos. It looks exhausting. It looks exhausting. So. But that's his full time job. Yeah. His yeah, full time exactly. job yeah. is making yeah. videos. And by the way, if 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 yeah. God forbid a natural disaster happens in the UK right now, three quarters of the maker the maker YouTubers are gonna they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna croak because they're all in, in they're maker all central. In, uh, yeah. yeah maker central they're all. Instagramming their uh, all their traveling and their their humble bragging about how the being having to delayed flights and stuff like that. All of them are like, "Oh, my flight's delayed to London." Woo -hoo. All right, have a good time in in uh, England, YouTubers. I am it's in, Bur it's in Birmingham, I think, as well. I'm fucking it? cranky so... today, man. I am fucking cranky. Let's go on with some questions. Yeah, yeah, please. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> This is, hey man, can I ask you a question? Also known as, hey cutie, can I ask you a question? Uh, <laughs> like that. <laughs> that was for you, Jeff. Thank you. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Kissy face. Uh, so, this is where you ask us questions. We do our best to answer them. Sometimes they're long-winded. Sometimes we don't know what the hell we're talking about. And that's why we refer to other people in the future. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to kick this off right here with Joe Rankin. Oh, wait. What am I saying? Joe Jorian. Joran Nippenberg. Yeah, Joran Nippenberg. Nippenberg. All right. Sorry, Joran. <laughs> he says, hey, cuties. Can I ask you a question? Uh, do you do test cuts on food with carbon steel knives before sending them out to customers? And if so, is there any way to remove the bit of stained patina from the knives? I like testing finished knives on onions and carrots to get a feel for the cutting performance, but especially on a minor finishing uh, especially on mirror finished high carbon steels, you get some staining immediately after chopping on onion. And I'm not keen on taking a sharpening uh, sharpened knife back to the buffer. Thanks, Joran. Joran. Hmm. Good question. That what do you guys very do? good question. Yeah. 
So I do, and I I do take it back to the buffer. So I just put the edge down. Mm. So you know your your edge isn't going to hit the the mop or the wheel. Um, yeah. But yeah, I always I always test after sharpening because you know it needs it needs a lot of testing really to get a really sharp blade. So sure. yeah, so on a high carbon blade, I will I'll, I'll I talked about this last week. I'll generally use carrots rather than onions anyway, so they won't patina so quickly. But I'll always take it back to the buffer and just buff it with that with that edge down instead of up. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jeff? I, you know what? I stay I, back in the day when I was at a, uh, a sheet metal shop. We did a lot of mirror finish, and we I work with these guys from Ecuador, and they called it mirror. So when anytime you had to go to the buffing room, we always said we got to do some mirror. I I think that mirror finish is very difficult to. Uh, I think it's difficult to do well, and I also mm-hmm. think because a lot of times a lot of guys get involved with the mirror finish mirror, and you can see the deep scratch patterns that are mirror finish as well. I also think that mirror finish personally, this is personally my decision. I think it's too hard to maintain for customers. I think that especially if you start, if they start sharpening their knives, you're going to get an errant scratch and it becomes something that's almost unmaintainable. That's my opinion. Go ahead, do it. You want to do it, go ahead and do it. I, I also think that if you've gotten to the point where your knife is finished and you're doing a lot of test cutting and something's wrong, you know, you're two. You've already got to go. You got to go two steps back. It's not yep. just. It's not just the edge. The final edge. Like if it ain't mm. cutting. If it ain't cutting through the way you want it to cut through, you've put an edge on it too soon. So mm. I generally have little measurements that I do that I know where they they are. The test cutting that I do is I do it with paper and. There's a huge difference in how you hear paper, how you hear it go through the paper. Like you can, after you enough with the paper, you can mm-hmm. really hear it when it's just like almost not even ripping or tearing at all. You can hear just like sure. whistling, whistling through, but whistling, uh, whistling through. But uh, no, I, I, I'm against. I, number one, I, I'm against mirror finish. Number two is, I, uh, you know, I use paper. I don't, I don't yeah. test cut before I put it in the box. I love the paper test. Uh, I think it's really good, especially for... It's a great indicator uh, as to what's going on, especially at your primary bevel, at at your lead cutting edge, like you're saying, Jeff. There's a very definite difference. Um, But I think the biggest benefit of cut testing with a knife... um, is to get a feel for the geometry and you know is it wedging when you're cutting through the food what kind of friction are you experiencing and i think the key for me i i don't wait until i'm all the way done i wait till i'm close to being done but not all the way done because if i need to go back in and, and adjust the geometry and maybe thin out the the material of the knife near the edge i want to do that before i spend any time hand sanding before i spend any time doing etching and um, realistically, when you go into hand sand, you're not really removing a lot of material. So if I'm going to do any cut testing, I actually do it after I do my finish grinding. Um, and sometimes, actually, more and more, I've been doing uh, te- cut testing after I've done most of my hand sanding, but not so much that I'm basically done because then I can go back in with just like the final strokes, like 800 or 1200 or something like that. And that's going to pull off any patina that's developed uh on the blade but it's going to be so close to the finished geometry and dimensions that it's going to give me a really 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 good indicator as to how that blade is cutting so my advice 
Uh, or I'll just go through what I do. So I finish grind, I hand sand, I'll hand sand up to uh, 600 grit, and then I'll mark my blade. That's usually when I mark my blade, because I always mark my blade before I etch them when I'm doing Damascus. Uh, or even actually when I'm doing a mono seal, I, I have a, a, a W2 blade that I have to hand sand coming up. And then... If I want to do any cut testing, that's when I want to do the cut testing. Put a quick edge on, start cutting through stuff, get a feel for it. Um, I'm, I've gotten to the point where I, I know that it's probably pretty good, but if I'm going to do that, then I'll do it then. Um, and then I do final strokes at 800 grit uh, on the blade, pulls off any patina or anything. It also cleans up that mark. Um, and then I move on to my etching. Or if it's if it's mono steel, then I'll just call it good there. Um, but yeah, if if you're still trying to figure out your geometry, you probably want to you probably want to do cut testing before you even get to hand sanding, in case you have to get back on that grinder, because there's nothing worse than doing spending hours hand sanding and then turning around and getting back on the grinder and then having to go back and hand sand back through all that. Um, so that would be my that would that's, that's my two cents. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Way more than two cents. That's perfect. That's great. No, no, that's really, really good. It's how do you, how do you, how are you most efficient? And part of that is not waiting till the end to have to go two steps back. Yeah. Cool. Jack Henry Knives has sent in a question. Hey guys, I got an inquiry today from someone who wants me to make them a blade, but the customer wants to make the handle themselves. So I turned them down, but I'm curious on you guys, your guys' thoughts on this. How would you handle the customer? I don't know if that's a, a joke. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Hey, there you if go. you would say yes, is it is it a bit risky? Um, what do you, I've never done this. What, what do you guys think? Have you ever done that? I had Just a made guy, a blade for somebody? I had a guy who sent me a message. He says, hey, could you make me a blade? I can take care of the handle myself. Don't worry about that. And I just wrote back. I'm like, I don't do that. Mm. No, and it's yeah. like, I don't really want. I mean, it's just, I mean, some people do, but I don't. And that, yeah. you know, I, 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 if you want to go, it go, you can get kit knives and do them yourself. I mean, there are, exactly. there are, you know, knife companies, you know, knife making companies that sell, you know, the knife ready to roll and you do the handle yourself. I, I, I generally speaking, it's like, yeah, it's not for me. I appreciate it. I mean, if a friend, if somebody like, if somebody really wanted to do it, like, um, you know, somebody, I was, you know, that would be a different story. But like when a customer sends me a message saying that they've done that, I've gotten that once. I was like, yeah. Eh, you know, I don't you know what? I, I, I'm lying too. I have done this. I have done this. And <laughs> very recently within the last two weeks. Jeez. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, it's slightly different. So I've, I've been chatting with this guy for a while and I don't know if you've seen his work, but he makes um, things like tables and things out of old skateboards. He recycles oh, yeah. old skateboards. <laughs> um, he's based in California. Woe, I think it's Woby Design. So we've been chatting for a while, and he said, "Well, look, I've got I've got these materials. They'd make good knife scales. So I'm sending him a few blades so he can finish them off, and he can have his own set of knives with his own materials. Um, but he's sending me uh, some big chunks of this this laminated skateboard stuff as well, so I can mm. do some some. <laughs> you ready for this pun? Steak. Oh, sorry, skate knives. <laughs> Wait, so they're going to be called they're going to be called steak or die." Which is a, a take Ste- on the skate or die. I like thing. it. So they're, they're steak good. knives made with old skateboards. So yeah, it actually is a very recent thing. But but I'd only do this if I if a if I've seen this person's work before yeah. and I know they could sort of do it justice, or you know if they're professional, you know, 
professional woodworkers or you know professional finishers of any type. But it's also the um, attitude. That's a lot different than don't worry about. It. I'll take care of you. What, what, you, what yeah. would you yeah, cost yeah. just for the blade? I'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about that. I'll take care of the rest. You know, yeah. that's a different. Yeah. It's a different situation. Yeah, I I would be I, I'm on the same page with you guys. Yeah, it it would really depend on who it is and what their work looks like because ultimately, like, I mean, I would be leery to put my name on it um, because then it, it it could potentially damage your brand if somebody <laughs> you send a blade out with your name on it and then they they're like, oh, I'll finish out the handle and it looks like dog shit. <laughs> you don't want your name on that versus yeah. somebody whose work. Uh, you can see representations of that. It looks really good. Then at that point, it feels a little bit more like a collaboration. The only time I think I've ne- I've never really done this yet, but I have some ideas about doing collaborations with people, which are just essentially a crossover. So each person does a blade, and then you swap, and the other person finishes out with their own style handle. The only reason I would feel comfortable doing that with anybody is because I absolutely respect and trust their work. So. If you don't know who this person is or have any, have any idea of what their work looks like and, and your name's going to be on the blade, I'd be careful about who you do that with. There you go. There or for. Next comes from Howling Wolf Forge. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Would you rather use a 1 by 30 grinder for a week or forge with your offhand for a week? So basically, he's you got your, you know, what would you rather do? Hmm. I, I'd rather do the grinder. I, you can get by pretty. It, it's amazing the work that people can accomplish with a one by thirty. It's not really that horrible. Um, versus forging on your offhand is essentially starting from ground zero. <laughs> I think I'd rather do that. I think I'd rather forge with my offhand. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like for me, it's I, I enjoy forging so much, but to to you know you you. You have the opportunity to kind of like you know how the ha- the metal feels under the hammer, so you can mm-hmm. figure out ways in which to make adjustments to make it work. You know, and I think that with blacksmithing, especially, I've actually became a better blacksmith once I started how to forge under a power hammer, because all of mm-hmm. a sudden it's your your you are all the managing hand, and the hammer is just hitting in one spot. So I think that you know once you isolate, once you isolate. The, the hammer just not move slapping all over the place and yeah. you can figure out how to move I think it would be actually a really interesting challenge I, I think my my biggest concern is accuracy oh of course it would be terrible I mean that, it's like drawing re- it's like exactly. drawing with your, but it's still you know I, 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 I got a feeling that it would be a little bit it would be interesting I, I'd, I'd uh, I think doing either one would make you a better maker because you'd have to think a lot more um, I mean I used a 1x30 grinder for the first I don't know maybe nine, ten months of making knives. Sure. Um, and if I, I think if I went back to using one now, it would make me so much better, I think. Um, and again, I mean, I don't forge, but I assume that if you're using your offhand, you're going to have to think a lot more, and it's going to make you think of your process a bit more. So it could probably improve your game in the long run. But um, yeah. yeah, good question. Intentionally slowing down. Maybe I'll make a, maybe I'll make a bottle opener with my offhand. There you go. Tony's not listening. So he's like, what are you talking about? You get, get back to work. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Tony. What's that fucking thing? Ah, don't worry about it. My kid made it. Don't worry. It's fine. All right. This next one is from Trippy Metal Work. He says, hey, man, can I ask you a question? How do you know how much material you need to start with when forging a blade? Say, for example, from round bar. 
Um, do you guys have any? Didn't thoughts you come on up there? with a formula last week, Morocco? I kind of did come up with a formula a couple weeks. Yeah, I think it was a couple weeks back. But um, I basically kind of—it's hard to describe. But it basically drew out the blade um, in a rectangular form, and then just did the math for half of that for essentially a triangle at a certain thickness. And also kind of, I, I, for my knives, I broke it down into a blade and then the, the material for the integral bolster and then the material for the tang. And, and I just did the quick math and amazingly it worked out to what I've now settled on. But it, it took me, it's really taken me like two and a half, three years um, to get to the point where I'm forging efficiently enough that I, I, to forge a nine inch chef's knife, integral chef's knife, I start with basically three and a half cubic inches. And when I did the math, it worked out to be almost exactly the same. And so, um, I have that photo and I could probably, uh, draw it out again for like a flat blade. Um, but it really comes down to how efficient and effectively you forge a blade, which and you know it does, it doesn't really matter on on the, where you're at on the spectrum. It, it really comes down to kind of trial and error more than anything, which is like a classic blacksmith move is just to try something. If it wasn't enough material, guess what? Start over again with a little bit more material and let's go. Um, but this math can help a little bit and I, I can't think of any better way to describe it other than like Jeff was saying, we're all visual, very visual people. I, I need to just draw it out cause I can, I can't think of how to explain it right now. When, uh, when I used to do help, when I used to take Hoffy, uh, Ori Hoffy's classes and I would end up assisting him, he would always draw on a whiteboard. He would draw a cylinder and then he would mm. draw a triangle going for you know in the you know fit a triangle in a cylinder when he was describing um making a point or making uh for drawing a taper out on a round bar and he would say that when you make that point the point is one third of the mass or the volume i can't remember and Mm -hmm. then so the rest of that material that two-thirds is how far are you going to go out so you have all that those two-thirds to kind of go out to make all that material so when he the way he was drawing out his points where he, he yeah. would, what he would do is he would, you know, just a point, he knew to hang off a certain amount of material and then isolate that material. And then when you draw the taper out, he knew that he would gain that two thirds of the volume or mass. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't fucking listen. You know what? I'm a broad strokes guy. I'm not a, I'm a broad <laughs> strokes guy, but it really, you know, ultimately there's no mathematics to it. You got to do it. You have to figure out what works yeah. because you also yeah. like the difference between, I mean, with, I mean, Mareko is a, I mean, Mareko is one of the best. And so he knows how much material he needs for forging down to the heel. That's something that a lot of people talk about is how do you forge? So you have enough material in the heel and how do you forge in the bevel and then the taper? It's not just, you know, you're, you're not just forging on a flat material plus plus all the material in your bolster plus the material in your tank it's a lot of trial and error and you, you just have to yeah. like get a grap you know get a grap of grap oh my god <laughs> what the fuck the fuck what the fuck is a grap this is crap what the grap go ahead the next question i can't take it dylan wesk i think i'm being trolled here Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Would you re- recommend a beginner blacksmith to buy or make their first tongs? I'm currently making my first pair. Thank you. I don't think you're being trolled. Tongs became a big issue this week. It was a big I think I- you get you get Jeff to make them. 
You get Jeff. No, because that's no, you what you're supposed to, to do. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't get Jeff to make them. No. Yeah, you, you send him Jeff an email, make... Jeff at FaderKnives.com. Oh, he, oh, he loves making them. He loves them. He's made me three pairs. He's made me three pairs you now. Know what? You know what? I hope those French fuckers take that package of mine that I sent and throw it right in their water. Those motherfuckers. <laughs> Listen, there's pl- here's what I here I, I actually I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a plug for at the end for my about a ta- a guy who makes tongs a guy who reached out to me we're gonna talk about him later, um, but you know making tongs are great because you're hitting two points one is accuracy but also multiples because you need you know it's it's called tongs it's not a tong you're making two so it's they're really relatively easy to make the problem is and i think that this is something that a lot of blacksmiths and bladesmiths especially early on go through which kind of i think it's some really important i was talking to jesse savage this week about it is we we focus on the anvil we focus on the hammer oh, i like this hammer i don't like this but you never know people aren't focusing on the tongs and how important the tongs are because the difference between having a good pair of tongs that hold your material properly is is so clutch so yeah making tongs is awesome but you know there's nothing wrong with buying tongs i have a pile of tongs all of a sudden I want tongs that fit better. So, you know, when you have a pair of tongs that you're using and there's a little slop in it, like when you hit, they move around your tongs, all that energy gets shot up in your hand. So that's not a good pair of tongs. But when you have a pair of tongs that are well-fitting, uh, like uh, if, you, if you're using square, uh, you know, rectangular flat bar, you get some box job tongs. You have something where the boss, that's the pinching end, is called the boss. They fit your material correctly. It's going to make you more efficient. You're going to enjoy it more. The other thing is, so there are. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to give you names. But if you go to any blacksmithing website, they all sell tongs, and generally they're relatively inexpensive. Or you can contact Cliff Dufton. He makes awesome tongs. He makes tons of tongs. And then Jonathan Pinkston Blacksmith. Jonathan dot Pinkston dot Blacksmith. Young guy. I'm going to talk about him later. He makes awesome tongs. I think making good tongs are great. I think you make you a better person. The other thing is tong clips. Tong clips are super mm. important because it, what they do is they flex your the reins of your tongs to make it tight. So you can yeah. make your own tong clips and it's I'm like going to give tension. Yeah. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you such a good little when Cliff was up here, he had a pocket full of these rubber special rubber bands. They're called tactical rubber bands and they're uh 3/8 Three eighths wide by two and a half inch, uh, all the way around. So they're two and a, two and a half inch uh, tactical mm. rubber bands. So you got on one of the big places that you order things from, and they ship to your house. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Those things are awesome. You get some tactical rubber bands when you're in a clutch, and then you can wrap them around tight, and you you all of a sudden you can choke up on your tongs. You're not squeezing so hard. Yeah. Buy or make as many tongs as you can. Because people, they don't, they they want to talk about their hammers. They don't want to talk about the tongs. The tongs are almost more important. You know where you can find those tactical rubber bands pretty readily. Go ahead. Is the local produce department? If you go and buy some broccoli, there's usually big, fat, thick rubber band around the broccoli for whatever reason. Good call. And so, just get yourself some broccoli. Learn how to roast those. Like Jeff was talking about, I love it. Some vegetarian stuff, and then you get yourself some tong rubber bands. Ta- uh, these tong rubber bands. Cliff left one here. 
it was unbelievable. When you can, when you don't have to grip, you don't have to grip so hard. All of a sudden, when you're hitting, if you're just in case you're hitting off, you know, your your managing hand is holding the material a little bit off the anvil, and when you strike, all that energy goes through your goes through the tongs in your hand. It isn't bad, but I tell you what. You know, don't be cheap with the tongs. Some of you guys are, are are losing a lot of your efficiency because you're playing around, and a, a yeah. lot of it has to do with you see these you see these uh, these Japanese knife makers, and they're all using pickup tongs to forge everything. And it's like Ugh. you think you should use. I mean, I see that, and all I can think of is eh, these guys. I don't know what the hell is going on with these guys, but like <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've watched several vid- videos of Japanese knife makers, and they're forging, just using, they're just using like flat, like yeah, little flat tongs. And I, I personally work with. I, I have like four different tongs, and they work, but they're not ideal. I wish I had twenty tongs. Yeah. Um, each for all the different dimensions, different ways of holding and grabbing things, um, because. It's just when you don't have the right tongs for the right process, you're just fighting it to hold it the whole time. That's it's right. A, it's a night. It's a nightmare, it's, and it's, it makes it that much more of a pain in the ass instead of fun. And so, hundred percent, it right makes it not fun. Makes it not fun. There we go. There you go. There we go. There we go. All right, where are we at? Is it me? All right. Um. All right. This one is. I think that this one is from. The Dutch master, Eric mm-hmm. Markman, who is a who is a listener of this show, he says does and I think this is this is aimed to you, Marco. Uh, does an S grind make a lot of difference in a well made kitchen knife? Mm. Big question here. This is there's a lot of contention around this, and I think it's I, I think it, a lot of the contention comes around people getting too prescriptive. Uh, which I feel like I've touched on before. I'm saying this is the best or that's the best. And it's like, you know what? It's whatever you like, that's the best, whatever. And so the S grind, uh, in my experience in cutting, it it really does um, help in the way that it's reducing the cross-section of the blade, but in a sustainable way over the life of the knife. And what I mean by that is that as you use the knife and as you sharpen it and you move up into thicker and thicker material and you thin the blade, that S grind, depending on if you're doing it similar to the way I'm doing it, is never going to de- interrupt the functionality of the knife. Mm. Uh, I really like the S grind more for, a lot of people think it's about the food release and it helps with the food release. And there's no knife that, releases food perfectly or helps re- keep ha- helps food keep from sticking to your blade but while it does help with the food release what moreover is in my experience it, it reduces the friction of that cut dramatically and it makes a huge difference with how much how much force you have to use to cut through the with through the food no matter what it is and to me that is the that is more important uh, in the performance of a chef's knife, than than really, uh, I, I, really most anything else. I'm I I want the knife to hold an edge really well. Take a sharp edge, hold that edge well, and then I want it to glide through food effortlessly. Um, and so those are the biggest things I'm shooting for. But uh, so yeah, I, I but in my experience, it does make a difference, it, especially when you get into some of the the kind of the harder root vegetables um like a sweet potato or those giant 
horse carrots or something like that, or even a squash, it just it takes a knife that maybe is a hundred thousandths in the middle of the blade down to fifty thousandths. So effectively reducing it by half its original thickness. Um, I actually took a bunch of uh, readings with my calipers across one of my blades and uh, I'll, I'll get that picture up too. I got to make notes all these pictures I got to get up. But anyways, um, and it, it will give you a, a kind of an idea of what you're looking at in the, in the hollow area of the, of the S grind. But yeah, I think it does make a difference. So it's kind of like aerodynamic. Hmm. You know, kind of like, kind yeah. of like it, you know how like a like it you know it's almost like the it reduces the drag and the friction going through whatever you're cutting. Yeah. It's less material hitting the food stuff, isn't right. it? So, so it's, yeah. it's yeah. also personal preference. You know, there's yeah. you know, so it's, again, there I think we go. It's ultimately, personal preference for sure. Yeah. All right. This mech. Unless you guys got something else. No. No, oh. you got it. Oh, got but it. I okay. do have something else. Yeah, you did an incredible live stream. Of your S grind, mm. how you do an S grind, and I only wish that you had another camera that you. That was outstanding. It was like everyone was holding their breath. It was awesome watching you do a, an S grind in, in real time. Yeah, I was. I learned a lot watching how you were you were holding it against the platen and just not just doing swipes. You were going back and forth. It was really great. So thank you for that. I only wish it was yeah, up for forever. Sure. I only wish it was up I, forever. So I actually was able to download that. It didn't Instagram Live didn't screw up on me. So I, I have to break it down into clips. Um, obviously, that was a long video. It was like an hour long. Um, but really, I think I can break it down into uh, 10 one-minute clips at the but least. You, but you had, it, you had it. You had it. You had the whole thing. I mean, you had the whole thing there. That was awesome. So thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. All right. This next one is from Smash It Knife and Forge. I got a question for you, Kitty Patooties with the pineapple booties. Jesus, yeah. I'll keep the pineapple off my booty. Uh, is it oh, a good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> is it a good or bad? <laughs> I'm not Hitler in hell right now, am I? Uh, is it a good or bad idea to apply for a small business loan to get up and running as a full-time bladesmith? I'm currently making knives in my off time until I retire from the military in four years. Bigger slash better equipment will increase efficiency, but I'm concerned about profit margins during the duration of the loan. Well, that's... That is definitely a valid concern. What do you guys think? Fortune I'd favors the brave. Say no. I, I oh, certainly man. wouldn't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think uh, there's something else you're not considering. So you're saying that you're doing this this part time mm-hmm. until you can give up your your career. Um, if you're getting a lot of new equipment in as well, that's going to be a big drain on your time, getting to know this equipment very, very well. Um, I've seen quite a few people just getting you know, a big chunk of money and just refitting out a new shop with all new equipment. And I just wonder, how can you be efficient? Because it's going to take so long to get to know everything. So I think keep using what you've got and just slowly slowly bringing new equipment to you know keep upgrading that way as opposed to just one big splurge getting new stuff because it's it's just it'll be like starting again from the beginning that that that's my point of view anyway sometimes fortune favors the brave i I, you know i i i uh i agree with that i i've i started slowly adding adding stuff um if i could if i could have said all right i'm just gonna lump down some dough and buy a whole new situation if I was, if I had a little bit more, uh, 
I had a little bit more lead in my pencil, maybe I'd say yeah, I'd say yes. Um, but uh, you know, look, do me a favor, videotape the video when you go into when you go see that see the bank guy and you ask for the loan. I want to see his face when you say you're going to be a bladesmith. I want to see his face. I give you a look. I still owe my sister. My sister gave me a couple bucks to buy my tire hammer. I still owe her. That's my loan. That's the only loan I have. Yeah. She ain't she ain't coming down hard on me, yo. I got to take care of it though. Drives me crazy. Yeah. My concern would be jumping in head first when you haven't been doing it full time. I would say uh, once you are able to go full time, start with what you got right now and do that for six months, maybe even a year, because there's so much more involved in going full time, uh, especially on the counting side and taxes side, all that kind of stuff, as well as, you know, trying to do a good job of uh, creating an audience and, and a community around your work so that you have uh, a, a pool to of, of clients and customers to sell to. I, that all takes a lot of time, and it, I would hate for somebody to jump in um, with you know, anywhere from, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar loan to gear up and then find out a year later like they fucking hate it. That this is actually something they should have kept on the side and they should have gone and got a different job. Or like a whatever, kind of more real real life job instead of bladesmithing, but uh that always concerns me. Um that just the the idea of doing that. So. And talk to guys. Go talk to you know. You want to talk about tools? Go talk to guys like Chris Cash, Mount Phillips uh, uh, Metalwork. He he deals mm-hmm. with you know used tools and stuff like that. And he gets really good. He sees everything. He gets good. Pro- talk to the guys in the community and say you oh, know maybe I don't have to buy a brand new Anyang. Yeah. Maybe I can you know instead of spending fifteen grand on a power hammer, maybe I can get a. You know, I can get a small treadle hammer or a small air hammer or small uh, whatever, and maybe I can make it happen. So, you know, you you don't have to just be like, I need $90,000 right here. And number one, number two is if you're going to, if I were to have, if I were to get a loan for anything, I would, the first thing I would do is get a loan for my website. And I would, I would put the money into the website because that almost is more important. I think people think, ah, I need to get a, I need to get an Yang. You might, you might do better. Putting your money into the business end as opposed to the, the end, um, yeah. as opposed to getting new hammers and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Oak Spirits Forge asks, "Hey, cuties, can I ask a question? <laughs> Who has the funnier fake accent, Mareko's British or Jeff's French?" <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not what doing are you talking that right about? now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Take your skirt off, baby. Let's go. Never mind. Sorry. That was awful. Uh, it's it's uh, terrible. Gonna try it. <laughs> terrible. I tell you, let's skip that one. Ben Eustace asks. <laughs> oh, that's mates, a big edit right Can I ask there. you a question? A big edit. What's your view on wearing safety glasses under a welding helmet? After working with a boilie for a week, I learned a bunch of tips and was... And one was to wear safety glasses whenever someone is welding around you in a workshop, even if you're facing away or wearing a welding helmet yourself. I put my sunnies on if someone is welding near me and I've never had welders flash. Cheers, fellas. Is that, a, was that, is that Australian? Oi, mates and fellas. Possibly, or uh, Londoner. I'm not sure. Not sure. Can I ben just, do you, I want to, just to kind of derail us just a hair. 
it, I learned that to to do a proper Australian accent, you change the uh, long A to a long I. So I'm going to get you to say the word, when you say the word snake, Craig, Craig, change the A sound to an I sound. Snake. No, no, snake. no, 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 no. An I sound. The I sound. There you go. Snake, mate. There you go. A snake. There you go. It's a snake, mate. There you go. So there you go. Now you're doing, I don't know what the, we were doing before, but now you got it. That's how you do an Australian accent. Got you. So wear safety glasses. Da boom. Well, there you go. It sounds like he's talking about scented, tinted eye protection. Uh, I've had welding. I've had, uh, I've had uh, uh, welding burns in my eyes. It sucks. Yeah, the answer is go ahead. It's the worst. <laughs> goes right through your eyes. I would, I would say when I was MIG welding, when, especially when I first started, uh, I always wanted to pop my helmet up and check the weld and make sure I was in the right spot or everything was looking good. And that slag on the MIG weld, even with the gas shielded, not the flux core, it still pops like crazy. Oh. And I, I certainly had a few times where little chunks of the slag scale was popping up into the corner of my eye or onto my eyelid or on the edge of my eyelid, almost in my eye. And if I was wearing eye protection, even just clear standard eye protection, that would have made a huge difference. But it never, I was never smart enough to stop for two seconds and grab some eye protection. Well, I, so you know, I would say it's not going to get in the way. As long as it's not distracting your ability to see what you're doing, I would say, sure, why not? I told that story how I was sitting high on the table and the I was TIG welding all day and the, the, the rays bounced off my shirt into the, into the inside of my mask and then I got the next, that night I got welding, I got welding burns on my eyes, you know, just from the rays. So I mean, you got some, you know, I, I'm very much more careful in regards to now is, is I make sure that my, my helmet is very tight to my chest too. But yeah, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you can do to prevent your eyes from being, my eyes are permanently, um, they have like sunburn on the whites. They look awful. I look like I'm, I look like I'm half in the bag most of the time. <laughs> uh, this next one is from Palum FR. He gets in here a lot. He says, Hey man, can I ask you a question? When do you, uh, when would you recommend using a dog head uh, forging hammer, which is, uh, I think, traditionally a Japanese forging hammer, essentially where the handle attaches at the back of the hammerhead instead of the middle, right? Yeah, the Jim. eye is closer yeah. to the to the back end, so it's all front yeah. heavy. Does it? I mean, I've seen guys who use those for all their forging. I've I see guys who just use it for the last little bit and like planishing. Forging for act like they're uh, kind of like they're more accurate forging. They're they're interesting. They're a little awkward to get used to, especially if you're norm normal. At least for me, uh, if you're used to a standard forging hammer. Uh, but once you get the hang of it, they're they're pretty nice. I like them a lot. I would love to have one. So is the, is the idea that you're you have more? And I don't. I have no idea. I tried using one. I was just like, eh, I can I, this. I can do without. But you know, I think that you're right. I think once you get used to it, once you get used to it, I'm sure. But is it just there's just more because there's more weight in the front. You're you're you're. I don't understand. Are you getting more? I I talked to a one bladesmith and he says it's good because you can you can hit the bolster when you're forging over the heel and you miss the heel. But I was just like, yeah, I don't want to hold it to the side, and you don't really have the you don't have the same yeah problem. But 
I, yeah. I think the stand the clearance you have in a normal or a standard forging hammer, it should be plenty of clearance to get around your bolster. Yeah, but you're so, on the side. You uh, hold it to the side. You don't have to go. You don't have to hold it straight in front of you. Right. You know? uh, I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know I, yeah. why people use them, or what I, the what the idea or the concept behind the you designs. Think you think maybe there's you're getting more force. You, they're, they're getting there's more mass, so you're all that well, weight it, in the front is the inertia of the weight in the front is 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 giving you a little bit more of an edge. I don't know. You, I bet there's I a, actually a specific technique or style, kind of like the Hoffy using that Czech yeah. style hammer. He has a very specific style for forging with that style of hammer. I bet there's a particular technique and a way of swinging those dog head forges that I'm not aware of that it makes them work very effectively. I mean, obviously, they've been around for a long time, so right. they're doing something right, but I would, what that is, I'm not I sure. I would exactly. almost think that, like, I mean, in the beginning stages, when you're, like, you are you got your hammer over your shoulder, you know, your hammer up high, I would think that it's, mm. if you don't hitting straight, I would think that it would just kind of, like, you know, swing, it would, it would, you know, move in your hand a little bit when you've struck down. So I could see yeah. it being good for, like, putting in your bevels or planishing but about other than that i i don't i sure. can't see myself going hog Way wild on. on something yeah i yeah. can't see myself going hog wild with all that because I, I could just see it totally like hitting a corner and then the whole thing spins around in my hand and me throwing yeah. through a window you know yeah because the heads are usually quite a bit smaller too they're about i think the ones i normally see are about an inch and a quarter or an inch and a half square and they're they're Which flared out from face. the eye, right? Almost like a kind of like almost like a, a Swedish style hammer. Yeah, gently. But oh, yeah, good. I say the answer is go ahead, give it a whirl, throw it through the window Have too. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Brotherhood knives says, "Hey, snuggle muffins. Mm. <laughs> I just got my first five knife set order." So he's looking for input on consistency on handles and what features help people identify that two or more knives are part of a set more than mm. just the matching materials. He says he's always a 1,000% thankful for all the input and humour. So I don't think he's heard the, the joke corner yet this week, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see if that's humorous. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, with regards to matching sets, I, to me, a lot of it comes down to design. So I think you should be able to pick up a pirate knife and the chef knife and think, well, these sort of aesthetically look as if they're part of a set. Um, and you can, you know, this is a, a set of five, so I'm assuming there's going to be a some sort of chopper in there, maybe a serrated knife as well. There's little hints in the design that you can do to make them look as if they're part of, you know, part of a bigger team. Um, but with regards to the handle consistencies, I mean, personally, I like using wood, and you're never going to get exactly the same handle. But that, I think that's part of the beauty of it. You know, if 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 the design shows that they're part of a set, I think you know, the handle materials being slightly different just gives them a, a, a bit of character. Um what what do you what do you think? Jeff? Anybody? Uh, anyway, I did a set. set I did a set with a fork. I did a, a knife, a carving fork and a uh an oyster knife. And my oyster knife handles are super different than my chef knife handles just because the way you hold mm-hmm. an oyster knife you want to you know be a certain way. So when I made the the uh when I made the carving knife, I made it closer to the oyster knife than the chef knife. Because all the colors were the same, and the G, I used a green G10 and white G10 liner. Mm. I didn't think it really made a difference. In, you knew it was a set. you know. So I, I, I also, uh, I tend to think that, I don't think you have to have, because I've gotten sets in the back in the day, you know, a knife block, 
and the handles are all the same. You know, but and some handles aren't aren't ergonomic for you know like a, a paring knife and a chef knife. You can't have the same handle. Like, because you're holding it differently. And if you ever had that, have you ever tried to make a, a paring knife with the exact same handle as the as the chef knife? Sometimes it don't work. So I think that... Um, I also try to push people away from sets only because I like mix and match. Why don't you... What's wrong with a little mix and match? You know, you I've done things where where maybe the stripes... You know, there's the same consistency in terms of the outside scale and the stripes are all different. I, I, it gets me a little crazy when people are like, uh, I want you to make these knives to match my, uh, you know, dishwasher. I, 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 that, 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 I get that a lot. You have no idea. You have no idea. Oh, you got this, you know, these set of curtains I have, and you think you could match these curtains. I'm telling you. And I'm like, ah, who, what do you care about? Why do you want your knives to match your curtains? You know? I've made a knife to match somebody's cushion before. Yeah. They're, people yeah. are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, go crazy. ahead. Yeah. Can you, can, I, I oh, say, Tony! Tony oh, doesn't even give me the. Sorry, Tony doesn't even give me the. Can you match my daughter's eyes? You know, I've gotten that too. <laughs> I have an eye color. I got to match eye color. I'm like, oh Send god. an eyeball in. We'll give it a go. Yeah. Oh my god! Don't do that. Uh, my suggestion is these five knives are going to look completely different from anything else they might have in their house, especially if it's like a slicer, a santoku, a utility knife, a paring knife, a tournée, or a bread knife, or whatever. They're going to look completely different from anything else they own. So I wouldn't be too concerned. But like Jeff was saying, um, you know, even if the set has all the same uh, handle materials, you're definitely going to want different sizes uh, between your paring knife and then your utility knife and then your chef's knife. Um, those are all kind of different size and contour. and er- There are different ergonomics to them. You don't, you know, I- I'm not going to repeat what Jeff said, but basically... Yeah. Everything Jeff said is awesome. Um, I think they're gonna look like it's gonna all, have your signature when you make them. Yeah, they're, it's gonna, I mean, they're all gonna look like they came from the same place. I don't get to you. Crazy. Make sure your names on all of them, so they can, that's pretty clear. There you or go. Probably, maybe even number them one through five. No, just I'm just joking. put them don't in the same that. box. Just put them in the same box. You ship them. There's a <laughs> Build set. A There's yeah. a set. Display box. <laughs> yeah, just put them in the put yeah. them in your box. You ship them. They're in this. They're in the set together. I, I would say there you go. Yeah. Just don't overthink it. They, they're yeah. gonna look like they all belong together. Trust me. Yeah. I mean, unless you do five that are blue and then one that's red, they're gonna be like, "What the hell happened here?" I'm like, "I ran out of blue G10." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was about you know. So. Uh, want to do one more? Okay, real quick. Hey, this is from Hermit Metalworks. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? What's your favorite and least favorite PPE? What's your mm. favorite and least favorite Ooh. PPE? My favorite is my respirator mask. I love it. I wear yeah. I wear glasses, so other masks, they can be a real pain because quite often the glasses will steam up or your glasses won't fit properly, you know, on a standard mask. So I wear one of the complete over the head things with a visor and it pushes fresh air over me. Nice. Um, so it keeps you cool on a hot day. Um you can breathe easily. You've got nothing stuck to your face. Um, I love it, um, and obviously, it's obviously got that safety visor on the front as well. So that does my my goggles, my respirator, um, and weirdly, I don't have to you know cover my hair to stop all the steel get in because it's a cap. So it, it does my hair as well. It's 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 my favorite. I love it. I love it. Mm. What about you guys? Let's dope. go with favorites first. What's your favorites? Ugh. My hate, my favorites uh, <laughs> my face shield. I wish I had a power cap like Craig, 
but yeah. I just have a face shield. But I think that's that's out of everything I use, that's probably the one I wear the most. Well, I, I guess actually my retractable. Sorry, I take it back. My retractable uh, respir- uh, respirator, the the quick latch, oh, uh, yeah. pop it on, pop it off. I love it. It's super quick and uh, it's super handy too, especially when you have to talk to other people that are in the shop with you. Well, that that is pretty good. I, I despise wearing it all all the time. Yeah, you know, putting it on, I put the glasses on, I put the earphones on, and put the respirator on. It's you know you got to do it. It sucks. I got some uh, uh, I got some eyeglasses that are a little bit more. F- I was listening to Tucker Paris talk about these eyeglasses that are the uh, uh, safety glasses that were flat. This, the glasses are flat. And the, the what that hap, that helps you in regards to a, just a little bit like especially when you're sharpening your knife, um, you have a little bit you, that contour in the lens can kind of bother me sometimes. So I got mm. these flatter glasses. They look a little bit more like uh, you know probably a little bit more like uh, you know Buddy Holly glasses or something like that uh, for you <laughs> young guys. That's don't worry about that. And um, I hate wearing all of it, and I do it anyway. I hate it. I wish I didn't have to do any of it, but I do. So there you go. I, I like it. I do like if you get a do, a new respirator. Sometimes they're when they're brand new, fresh. They're so good. Sometimes you feel like you're not even wearing it. I actually had a respirators on all day. I didn't even realize I was wearing it. I like a brand new respirator. Do you know what I hate? I hate my my heat proof gloves that I used. You know, with the oven mm. and so on, because they're these big unwieldy things and you can you can never do the latch right you can never pick things up right worry you're gonna get a nice pair of tongs you're gonna have a nice pair of tongs you're gonna be able to take your knives out of the of it yeah your even heat from all the way across the room you're gonna thank me for it i'm with you craig i hate my gloves my gloves are the crux because i love that they protect my hands but i hate that none of them fit my giant polynesian hands they're such a huge pain in the ass i have to split them up on the side out like the pinky side of your hand of the glove i have to split them so that i can take my gloves on and off easily especially when i start forging and my hands are get hams did i say yeah. hams yeah get your hands <laughs> my, hand, your my ham, hams ham are hands. getting <laughs> that was my old nick that was my old nickname uh ham hands they call uh my old, old shop mate uh megan used to call me ham hands because my hands are like these monster sausage fingers you call them ham hands yeah yeah well then you know you know the pain ah the worst but i hate gloves i i do like anyway. uh those nitrol gloves though i uh oh, yeah. those uh those disposable gloves i like wearing those yes that's those about handy. it a fucking you know what we're ugh, cares wear your safety <laughs> device don't listen to us Wear your glasses. Wear your respirator. Wear your earphones. Wear your gloves. Just and just bitch about it under your breath. It's fine. As long as you're safe, I'm with you. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. There are a lot of ladies. I said no ladies last week, and there are plenty of ladies. And I shout out, shout out to all the ladies listening. I'm with you. This next sponsor, the New Jersey Steel Baron, is an awesome sponsor. They have fantastic steel, all sorts of tool steel and knife steel, whatever you need. Different sizes, different alloys, different thicknesses. You can order it on their website. They're redoing their website, so there's going to be some new deals coming soon, but just bear with them. Pete is on it. Pete's on it, I guess. 
I'm with him. The other thing is, is you they do what's incredible besides all the steel they have and the fact that they ship it in small lengths because so you can put it in the mail. You don't have to go. You're not getting a you know you're getting a trip from a truck. Is they do water jet services. So if you have something, let's say you wanted to do, and like in my case, I get my oyster knives water jet cut out from the New Jersey Steel Baron. They have my file. Uh, I may, had to make adjustments. I call Pete up. Can you make adjustment here? Can you make adjustment here? He did it one, two, three. And then he's got all the steel there. So I say, I need so-and-so. Uh, I need a 440C, eighth-inch uh, oyster knives. How many you want? 30. Sends them right away. So it's a huge relief. It's a huge... Um, I love using the New Jersey Steel Baron. I really love the Brunos because they're super helpful if you have any problems with heat treating, if you want to get into a new type of steel but you're not sure what to do. On their website now, you can actually look up and see all the heat treating schedule that they suggest. Um, they stand behind their products. They stand behind their service. I'm a New Jersey Steel Baron fan, and so should you. Nice. Shall we lighten the mood a bit? Please. We've had yeah. a We've had another joke in, which is quickly turned into the bad (laughs) joke corner. So this is from James Mayo, and he says, hey, guys, up for a joke. So a guy walks to a club, overhears two rather large women speaking in an unfamiliar accent. So he goes over to them. What a charming accent. Are you two ladies from Ireland? The women scoff at him, offended. Idiot. It's Wales, obviously. I'm terribly sorry. So are you two whales from Ireland? Oh my god! That. I'm not mad at that. <laughs> Holy I'm shit! Not mad at that that might be in the that might be in the top five. Of it's the, a groaner. A yeah, groaner. but it's not as it's not as some of them have been bad. I mean, some of them have been like ruthlessly bad. So it's uh, like yeah. uh, you know. There we it's are. It's what it is. We <laughs> don't call it good joke corner, that's for sure. Quick, <laughs> All right, this is Kim, Craig's Community Showcase. This is where we uh, show a little love to members of the knife-making community as well as those adjacent to the community. And uh, Mr. Craig is going to kick us off today. There you go. There you got your accent. It's the accent. There it is. 30 <laughs> seconds. So mine is, it's not a person, it's Eating Tools. So at Eating Tools on Instagram. Um they, I mean, they sell knives, but I th- if you just follow them, I think they're just a really great showcase of culinary knife makers. So if you if you just look at the feed, you're going to see some amazing work to be inspired by, and then they've got you know stuff by Nick Anger, Salem Straub, Will Griffin, even Almay Toma at Florentine Knives. So go take a look. Eating tools on Instagram. Dude, you hit the post so hard. That was so good. <laughs> That was so good. You have a timer in front of you, obviously. <laughs> Jeff, are we ready? I'm all the time. Three, two, one. All right. This next one is for talking about tongs. Let's talk about Jonathan.Pinkston.Blacksmith. He's a dynamite young guy. I know he works with Ethan Hardy. He does some with stuff with uh, Will Stelter. He's an awesome blacksmith. He's making tongs called the Ultimate Tongs. You should go check him out. And when you do, go tell him that the Knife Talk podcast says hello. There we are. Boom. Nice. There you go. Oops. Oh, my timer. Cheating. I did not hit the post as well as you did. I, I might go over a little bit, but I'm going to try to keep it tight. Right, you just, ready? Three, three yeah. going to give you the hook.
Can you give me the hook? Three, two, one. All right. So this week, I'd like to show some love to Michael Raider. He's a knife maker from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he's on Instagram, Raider underscore Blade. And I'll say he is basically the pioneer of doing integral craft, handmade uh, integral chef's knives. He was doing that far before anybody else. He actually uh, taught Dave Lish, who then I learned how to make integral chef's knives from. And as a pioneer, I just wish everybody would go, give him some love, give him a follow. He really deserves it and admire his work. He's uh, really inspirational. What's his name? All right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> Michael like... Raider. Michael, Michael Raider. There we go. There we go. Raider, we Raider Blade. So beefs, we've got beefs. All right, so this is some beef time. This is where we basically kind of bitch and moan a little bit about stuff that's pissing us off and annoying us in the world. And uh, I'll kick us off. So this this past week, we've been actually, uh, we've been working on the calendar stuff. And the people that we've been working with, for the most part, are really not really nice and i'd hate for them to hear this but it it's it's, <laughs> oh, it's service stuff in the way where i've sent them emails i'm corresponding with them i'm trying to be um as communicative and transparent with them as possible and it's like they're not even on the same page or no. or it's like i i don't even know why i'm working with them i should be doing this myself because I'm exactly. telling them basically how they should be doing their job or or like the calendar is July to June. It starts in July 2019, ends in June 2020. And I sent a note in his email. He sees all of the calendar pages in front of him and still he wants to start it in January 2020 and end in December 2019. And I'm just like, fuck, what's your problem? Should I? Can I reach through this phone and wring your neck a little bit? But you can't count I'm on like, other people. You just can't. Well, people not like, reading again. People not well, reading. Just, exactly. And I'm just like, holy shit! I think I'm paying this guy for this. What the hell is going on right now? So anyway, oh, you're that paying is my him. Beef. Well, I mean, they're setting this stuff up. And then you putting, ring his like, neck. Printing this. Yeah. I mean, you're pay- I, you, I want you want to answer. I hate depending on other people. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Anyways, you want an answer? The guy gave me an answer. Oh, yeah, yeah, terrible. Oh, so frustrating. Could be worse though. Well, that's because you know you do everything yourself. You know you don't have yeah. to depend on other people to get your shit. This is the reason why all these people in their offices they hate their jobs because they're gonna depend on other assholes to get stuff done for them where they can just do it themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ugh. What I'm about you, do. Craig? Do you got something? Yeah, it's a it's a trend that I'm seeing on Instagram. Oh, um, I think and I know I think what got, it is. I, I think you're both culprits. I think so. I I think so. <laughs> it's this new post thing. People putting up a post, then putting up a story saying new post. And I'm always, at first, I was like, "Well, what? What? Where's the post? What? What do you mean?" So then I sort of realised then that it's all oh, right. They're referring to a post that they put on their on their main feed on their grid. Mm-hmm. It just, it just confused. I, I just felt like an old man. I just felt really confused. You are. Like, what the hell you are is an old man. On? You're an old man. I am an old Craig. man. And not to mention, you are here. How old you are? You got to change the profile picture on Craig Lockwood because that looks like <laughs> fucking Katie Lang. That don't look like you. I don't look like you at all. 
Uh, it was taken on a good day. Yeah, damn right. It was a good day. Put some black shoe polish in that hair of yours. Oh, my God. Go check out Craig Lockwood's Instagram picture. Holy shit. He's ducked, he dunked his head in the coffee etch. Oh, man. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this whole new sharp. post thing. New post thing. Uh, whenever I see it now, I'm going to reply to that story and just say, cool story, bro. You did that to because... me. You said, what's up with the new post? I'm like, I don't know. I just do what everybody else is doing. I wasn't thinking too hard. It's bizarre. I, I, I just find it really strange. So, my, yeah, new post is my beef. What have you got, Jeff? Well, I think I just I just want people to talk normal. I don't – I think that uh, kind of – you know, people try – sometimes I think that guys – People talk to me in a manner where they think that some of the words that they're saying are going to make me feel differently towards what they're doing. Like a guy said to me, I'm doing this, I'm doing this proof of concept of a bottle opener. Hey man, you're not doing, you're not work for NASA. Just say you're making a bottle opener. You don't have to tell me about my (laughs) prototype of, my prototype of this bottle opener. Stop. Talk normal. Talk to me. I'm fucking around making a bottle opener. That's it. That's all you have to say. You don't have to tell me about your proof of concept because you're in a garage. I know that you're you're, you're you're in a garage next to your laundry machine. So there's nobody making a proof of concept next to the next to the laundry. It's not happening. So that's number one. And number two is just talk normal. Just talk normal. I don't. You don't have to impress me. I, I'm impressed that you do stuff. Don't just talk normal. Talk like a normal yeah. person. Yeah. Nothing good started in a garage, Jeff. All right, I understand, but at the same time, yes, I understand. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, and Amazon, and but what? You, come on, man. Some of you guys, you Don just Nguyen. talk, talk normal. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being in a garage. I was in a garage for a long time, but I wasn't pretending like I was, you know, building a space shuttle to Mars. You know, I wasn't. You know, check my new post, bro. Come on. Well. You won't take them serious if they don't use the right I, lingo. I, I, I talk like a normal person. You don't have to be a douchebag. I mean, I just... <laughs> <laughs> Come uh, on. Right. Should we call this a day? Damn right. Shall we call it a day? Get me out of here. A reminder of the forum up at knifetalk.net. So if you've got a question we haven't got around to, stick it up on the forum. Somebody's going to know the answer to it. Um, again, thanks for listening. Um, we put out this podcast every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Stitcher, whatever you're using for your podcasts. Subscribe, leave a review. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Adios. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.